Welcome to the How Writers Write podcast, a show focused on inspiring and empowering you to become a better writer. Come along as we deconstruct the tips, routines, and motivations of your favorite authors. In the end, it's all about getting your story onto the page. Welcome to episode 68, How Lynn Anderson Writes. Lynn Anderson is a crime and thriller writer based out of Scotland. This interview with Lynn is super special. Her sharing and generous spirit, it just really highlights what this entire podcast is all about. I saw and just listened kind of enraptured to her, and I know you'll enjoy it as well. I want to say a special thank you to Lynn for her time. And now, my friends, without any further ado, here is the interview with Lynn Anderson. Welcome to the How Writers Write podcast. I am your host, Brian, and today's special guest is Lynn Anderson. Lynn is the author of dozens of novels. I counted 39, but I want to double check that, and is best known as the creator of the Rona McLeod series of crime thriller novels and for her part in founding the annual Bloody Scotland Crime Writing Festival. That sounds like an amazing (laughs) event. Lynn's novels, Paths of the Dead and Follow the Dead, were shortlisted in 2015 and 2017 for Scottish Crime Book of the Year, and Driftnet was a Scottish number one bestseller. Lynn's next novel, The Innocent Dead, will be released on July 22nd, 2021, in the U.S. at least. I can say that for the U.S. Lynn, welcome to the show. Well, I'm delighted to be here, and thank you very much for inviting me. Yeah, I think you are our first um, Scottish guest. So, you know, we're, we're checking a new box today. <laughs> well, uh, I'm really pleased about that. And it, it's interesting to hear, you know, the few words you said about me, because I wondered if it might have been a connection with Bloody Scotland um, that had, uh, you know, major decision for you. So. Yeah. You know, I, um, I, I always look for guests that have, you know, written lots of great books or one great book. Um, and I, I love talking to people who are doing something kind of new that I haven't had exposure to. And so the idea of, you know, being a writer, but then also, um, you know, being somebody who is, you know, founding a, you know, crime writing festival is super interesting. And in fact, it was the very first question I wanted to ask you, which was, you know, you know, why, why start a festival? Like, what was it that made you, you know, wake up one day and say, Hey, you know, I want to start a new crime writing festival. Well, it was one of those things in life. It's a bit serendipity. Um, I was down at, in Lincoln in, uh, in England uh, for the uh, crime writers association uh, weekend And uh, I was there with a couple of other crime writing friends from Scotland and we were sitting about after our meal, just talking in general about the number of wonderful crime writers we had in Scotland. And yet we always seem to be going down to festivals uh, south of the border. And um, we thought just sitting there 
but why don't we have a festival and we can invite people to us for a change? And that was, that was really the beginning of the idea. That was the seed of the idea. And it was my crime writing friend, Alex Gray, um, who was with me that night and uh, another writer called um, Alana. And it was Alex and I, the idea sort of stuck. And Alana Knight and Alex and I talked about it in general. We got we were coming back on the train the next day and we talked about it on the way back to Edinburgh. And it's a funny thing in life. It, it, it must be very similar to when you come up with what you know is a good idea for a book. This was a good idea. And whenever we spoke to anyone about it, you could see by their reaction that they thought it was a good idea. And of course, at that time, we had some, and we still have some giant names in, in crime writing. So we went to them and uh, we said, if we try and do this, will you support us? Because the most important thing would be in the first year, uh, you get people like Ian Rankin and Val McDermott and Christopher Brookmeyer. And, and if they said they would support us, then we already had some big names for mm -hmm. our first event, our first, our first year. So they were very enthusiastic. Um, and of course, at that time, Ian Rankin was the biggest uh, crime uh, seller in the UK possibly still is. Yeah, it's a huge, um, yeah. yeah, definitely. And uh, Ian lived around the corner from me in, in, in Edinburgh, my flat in Edinburgh. And uh, he was a, a member of the Crime Writers Association and, and all that. So we spoke to Val too and Chris and a few others, Stuart McBride, and they were all very enthusiastic. So we knew we had a core. We were also very aware that we had a lot of writers um, writing Scottish crime that were probably under the radar for a lot of people and we wanted to give them a platform. So we managed to get a group of people together who were all very enthusiastic in our committee which has developed over the years. Uh, we're in the 10th year of the festival this year um, and that's how it began. And it, it, it grew dramatically from there because like any good idea, there was obviously an opening there that just hadn't been filled before. I think the other really important aspect was that having got support from fellow crime writers to find a good location. Now Edinburgh has the biggest book festival in the world. It runs the longest and Glasgow has a fantastic festival called I Write. So we didn't want to be in either of the major cities. And we really wanted to encompass the rest of Scotland as well, the Highlands too. So we came up with the idea. I had been involved in a conference, <laughs> unbelievably, for Braveheart in Stirling and uh, at the Stirling Highland Hotel many, many years before. And it was such an amazing location. And in fact, um, they previewed the, you know, Braveheart 
was shown first in Stirling. But um, the Stirling Highland Hotel, we went went to see them and they were very keen to, to you really need a nice centre point, a central point. Uh, they were very keen to have us. And uh, if you're not familiar with Stirling, um, you've got that wonderful castle, which um, for me is the nicest. It's, it's a much more dramatic, more attractive castle than Edinburgh Castle, which is really, you know, a lot of barracks up there as well as the castle. And it's on this hill. And of course, it's within sight of the Wallace Monument. And round it, you've got the whole battlefields, you know, where the various battles were fought. That's uh, so cool. So you can imagine, very dramatic. And um, they were very keen, the council there, to support us. We, we had found a, a central location. And the other key thing, I think, was we didn't want... Um, we wanted to give a chance to very new writers to give a bigger platform to established writers that weren't known so well, maybe outside Scotland or the UK. And of course, we wanted to have our international writers coming. Uh, so we set it up when you're innocent and you, you've never done it before, you can be very ambitious. We decided instead of Harrogate is a fabulous the major one in England, in the north of England, but they just do back-to-back -back events. And we decided we were going to have three running in parallel in three central locations in Stirling within a minute's walk from one another. And the biggest one would be the 700-seater for the big names. And we had one at about 300 and one about 150 and that gave us the scope to do essentially what Bloody Scotland was set up to do was to take Scottish crime writing to the world and to bring the world to Scotland. Oh, uh, I love it. Mm -hmm. I love it. It's such a cool, I mean, I mean, it, it start. it sounds like it started from such a cool idea and the fact that it's been going 10 years. I mean, I'm sure during COVID it's a little bit different, <laughs> a little different, but... The that was a little challenge. What I should just say before I talk about, you know, how we dealt with the, the, this last year, as it were, last September, um, the name Bloody Scotland comes from where it is set. Because it is set in Stirling with the Wallace Monuments, you know, and, and you can see the Highlands, you know, right in front of you. And it's got this wonderful background of, of the battles that have played out in Scotland and it was Alex Gray, my uh, my pal, crime writing pal, said I know what we should call it, we should call it Bloody Scotland and if you've seen the logo, the logo, it was actually the local college, we went to the local college and we asked their graphic design artists if they could come up with a logo um, that would fit our crime festival and they came up with the idea of the big splash of blood which becomes the shape <laughs> of Scotland uh, so the local community was already involved with oh, with it. the festival that even at that early at that early level I love it so um I want to change change topics a little bit and okay. as I was kind of digging into you and kind of looking at your history I saw that the first 
book of the uh, Rona McLeod series, Driftnet, yes. was released in 2003 on January 1st, 2003. So, yes. you know, quite, quite, a, quite a long time ago. Indeed. And now you're, I think it's a 15th or 16th book in the series. Um, yeah. So, so you've just, you've just been, um, you know, keeping that series just thriving. And I'm curious in that time frame, like, what is it you feel like you learned in that, you know, 16, 17 years, however long it's been about writing series and about writing in general, you know, as you kind of look back at all this time, like what are some of the big, big lessons that come up for you? Yes. I mean, it's a fascinating thing because when I wrote Driftnet, I had no idea that it was going to be a series. And I think you probably have had people on that have said that. Um, the, the background to the first book really did, what has happened after that because I come from my father is a detective inspector in the police force in Scotland and uh, he had there were three daughters he had three daughters my poor father and of course being a policeman out in the uh, a detective in Greenock was at my hometown which is down the coast a bit from Glasgow like any I'm sure detective uh, or policeman worried about his family because, you know, he knew what was happening out there in the streets. And um, so the actual idea for Driftnet came, I mean, my father had died by the time I wrote uh, the first of the series, but um, it was really that idea. My father always worried he would turn up at a scene of crime and one of, it was one of his family members one of his daughters, you know, might be involved. And, and I, I, I have to, I, we used to joke sometimes, you know, was I going to be actually the victim or the perpetrator? <laughs> uh, you know, because you do worry about your teenage daughters. Um, so that, that idea of having someone turn up at a scene of crime and they think the victim is connected to them was a very personal thing. And then I thought, well, okay, uh, will it be, will it be a detective, a male detective? And uh, I remember what came into my head. I thought, well, you know, Ian Rankin's pretty well, you know, <laughs> a male detective with angst and a drink problem. You know, I my neighbour around the corner is is really sewn that one up, you know, with rebus. And then what popped into my head was my neighbour in my home village in Carbridge, I, I, I taught her daughter mathematics and she had gone off to become this forensic scientist. And it wasn't known then the way it was known, it's known now. We hadn't had, we hadn't in this country seen CSI and everything. And so I didn't really know what it was, but she spoke about it with such enthusiasm when she came home from university. And in that moment, I thought, I'll make it a woman and I'll make it a forensic scientist. I'll make her a forensic scientist. Mm. And the victim, who's a teenage boy, looks so like her that she thinks to her horror, it might be the son she gave up for adoption 17 years before. 
that was the dramatic premise. So I didn't set off to, you know, be in the world of forensic scientists. I was in the world of a woman who happened to be a forensic scientist. But it was the trauma associated with this that makes, I mean, she finds out very quickly it isn't her son. But the fact that it might have been, it, it drives her need to find her son. And also it sort of drives her need to find the killer. It, it, it has made the thing more personal. And that began the series. So I thought it was a one-off, but I, I, I loved the character so much. I really enjoyed the character. And my background is uh, mathematics and computing science. So the world of forensics, uh, Emma Hart, who was a young woman who's now working for the Met in London, from my home village. She helped me with the forensics side of it. And, uh, but I loved it so much that I went back to my first university, Glasgow, and I took the diploma in forensic medical science, an evening class. Now, there were about 70 of us in that lecture theatre once a week. And um, myself and Alex Gray were the only writers. Everybody else was the real thing. And of course, that was just quite magical. And it was because of the combination of finding this world that I really was interested in. And of course, doing the course and meeting the real people that meant that I wanted to continue with this, with the series. Mm -hmm. I, you know, I've, I've had other um, guests on the show and they've talked a lot about actually diving into the world that they're writing about. And so it sounds like you've, you've kind of done that as well, where, um, you know, there's, there's book research where you're like actually reading about it and trying to wrap your head around it. And then there's a little bit more like doing research, which is like, you know, taking a class or something along those lines, where you are actually experiencing the thing that you're trying to learn about. And how much of an impact did that have? Like having, you know, really diving into you know, the, the, these topics that just, you know, kept the interest going for the series. I mean, like kept the focus on the series. How big of a deal was that for you? Well, it was because, I mean, when I, when I created a, a character who was a forensic scientist, I didn't know anything about it. You know, I mean, that's the wonderful thing when you start off a story, you don't need to know everything about it. <laughs> you learn as you go along. And of course, because I then had contact with people and made, you know, had friends in that world, I knew whatever topic I wanted to choose the book, I, I knew where I could go to make sure I got it right. And the other really interesting thing is um, Police Scotland. I mean, I don't know if most people in America are aware, but um Scotland has its own police force. It's it's organised differently. It's it's not the same as the the, the force uh, south of the border. They also have their own law, which is different again. Mm. I mean, it's not that different, but it has quite big differences. Uh, so um, getting to know people that worked in that environment in Scotland um, was 
great because you knew you could go and ask them the questions. But the other really, really strong thing is they are always willing to help. In fact, they want to get, they want to give you the right information. And I've done lots of events with forensic pathologists and, you know, soil forensic scientists and police and, and they will always say the same thing. Forensics is going to be presented to people in court and they may never, apart from watching stuff on the telly, actually really know what's going on. And the crime writing fraternity in Scotland, they want them to get it right. So they work with us. Uh, that's a wonderful thing because uh, they see us doing a job for them so that if you're reading the books and the books have got it right, if you're in court and you're on a jury and you're going to be presented with material, then you're going to know more about it than you would have otherwise. So I think that's important, but just a point to make, the forensics plays a part in the book because Rona is a woman who happens to be a forensic scientist and she's, she uses that to deal with situations and to deal with crimes. But books are about character and you can, you can only write series if people fall in love with the characters and want to know what happens next in their lives. And they're like every good story, they're character driven. Yeah. Yeah, that's I'm so happy you brought that up. Um, so last week, kind of from when, when we're recording this, we had a bunch of <clears throat> excuse me, we had a bunch of writers get together and we taught writers basically over a course of five days how to make a character, like a dynamic, compelling, um, cohesive, interesting character. And it was a lot of fun. They're crazy weeks. And I'm curious, as you think about your character creation process and you think about what's most important to you about character, what are the few of the things that, you know, are, are just the most critical things for you when you're making a new character or, you know, starting to develop um, an existing one? Yeah, it's a good question because, and I'm not sure I can answer, because I mean, obviously from the Rona McLeod point of view, um, here was a woman working in quite a difficult environment, you know, and I, I, when I went to university and did mathematics, there were very few women did that. Now it's totally different. And then of course I did computing science, which uh, as you know, is a fairly, I mean, it's improved, but it, it could be a fairly male dominated world. Right. And um, so I suppose in some ways, uh, there was, I knew what it was like, you know, to be in that type of environment uh, and to put yourself in that environment a, a, as a female. So although she wasn't anything to do with me, I, I had a sort of knowledge of that. The other thing was, in, I, where did she come from? I don't know, <laughs> except when I started to write her, I, I, I knew, I learned about her because your characters in a series are exactly like yourself. I mean, the person who wrote Driftnet is not the person who's written the latest book. There are a number of years have gone past 
and we learn things about ourselves. And of course, the whole thing about a character in action is to put them into situations that they learn about themselves. And you as a writer think, oh, I didn't know. I didn't know they would have done that. Hmm. But they did it, you know. And the other thing is you realise when you try and get them to do things. So I think you learn about your character and you learn about developing your character by thinking about them in a particular situation. What would they do if it presented with this person or this situation? Because that's how we learn about ourselves. That's so interesting. I've I've yet to have a guest kind of talk about that of putting your character into a situation so that you learn something about them and they learn something about them as well. And I'm guessing you probably don't have a good sense of like what that learning might be until they're in the situation. I think you're right. um, I mean, the the book that I've just delivered uh, is opens up in Orkney. I I lived in Orkney, the Orkney Isles for a while. That's, That's a set of islands, an archipelago just off the north of Scotland. Shetland's a bit a bit further north than that. And I lived there many, many years ago. And I knew that I was going to have a female character on Orkney who was actually an investigative journalist who had left Orkney many years ago and um, gone down to London and she travelled the world with her investigative journalism and she's got to come back to Orkney because her parents have died. They've got a farm and she's got a 17-year-old brother and what's she going to do with that, the family farm? And that came out of the fact that all those years ago when I went to live in Orkney, I lived with a family on a farm and it sparked an idea. What, What what happens if you're given that? Do you sell the farm and your brother loses his home and the thing he wants to do most in his life? Because you don't want to live there anymore. You know, so you see the character comes into your head and then you give them a whole lot of things they've got to do. How will they act? And through the way they act, you get to know the character. So it's such an interesting... it's such an interesting idea of, you know, there, there isn't bringing this up. So during the challenge, there was a lot of writers who seemed to um, really struggle with this idea of setting off on their book and starting to write their book without having all of, or many of the details of their character. And one of the things we were trying to communicate is like, you know, you're going to have some information for sure. You're going to have hopefully enough to get started but you're also going to learn a ton about your character. I, one of the things we didn't connect though, is this idea of intentionally putting them into a situation where you can learn something about them and they'll learn something about themselves as well. And I think that type of thought sometimes, especially for newer writers is kind of foreign because there's this idea, a writer like yourself, who's writing, written dozens of books, just sits down and knows all the answers before you get started. <laughs> and it doesn't it sounds like it's, it's not exactly that way. <laughs> Not at all. In, in fact, I, if, I think at the beginning, you know, it's such fresh and fun. And then you start to, I'm sure many people get, <laughs> writers get the imposter syndrome, you know, where you think, 
is that any good? Or, you know, but the, the way that I begin a book, uh, obviously, if it's a Rona, if Rona is involved, she will walk, she'll walk onto the scene at some time. But for me, it's a very visual, visual image. I get a visual image of something happening. So when I mentioned the, the one I've just finished, the visual image was the cliffs at yes, Yesnaby in Orkney, which are just astonishing. And we've been having, you know, those big Atlantic storms coming in and uh, a boat, uh, a ship is driven onto the Yesnaby uh, cliffs. But of course, the Atlantic is, is littered with what we call ghost ships that have been abandoned and, you know, used for various purposes. And they're just abandoned out there. And of course, they make their way across. And I had read a wonderful article in the paper about one that had come, a, come aground in uh, in Cork in, in Ireland. Uh, and that's how I really learned about it. So for me, the, the spark, and I haven't got, the people yet, apart from the fact that I know Rona will come on. And one of the wonderful things about the good things about a series and the sort of series I write, you're going to be presented with a scene and you, the reader, know more already than Rona does. Hmm. Not a lot more, but you you know more about it than she does. And then if, I don't know what's going to happen next. I don't know why it happened. I don't know who did what. So when I walk onto the scene with Rona, I am like a forensic scientist walking onto a scene. Mm. I, I don't know how that scene happened or, you know, who did it or whatever. So everything I write is, is, is her finding out things and her thinking up things and and taking in the context because crime scenes are all about context. Um, and that makes it really interesting for me because I have no, I just have that opening scene. I don't know what's going to happen next. It gets a wee bit scary when you get into the, the final act and you haven't quite figured out how all the bits are going to fit together. But I just have to hope that you know, they do. <laughs> so I just love, I just love that idea. It's such an interesting idea. And so it sounds like, it sounds like, um, are you like, where do you fall in like the, the plotter versus pantser scale? Do you tend to be more of a pantser or do you like to have, you know, lots of the plot uncovered before you get started? Uh, I don't have the plot. I have that scene and a sense of what that scene might be about or might have, you know, the, the sort of context of it. Um, I don't know anything after that because, as I say, it's an, it, for me, it, I'm investigating. I'm like a reader. And if I don't know what's... <laughs> what the solution is at page 100 or who did what you're not the reader's not going to know that either mm -hmm. the 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 one interesting thing that happened in the delivery of that particular book which was to be in at the end of November during the year of the pandemic um that was fascinating because uh, I couldn't write prose you know, I had my big opening scene, but I couldn't put, I was totally freaked. I couldn't 
you know, write the words of the actual story. Uh, because my brain was everywhere, you know, and you were listening to our first minister every day at lunchtime to hear what, <laughs> where we were, you know, and how many Kate and all that stuff. Um, so for the first time, uh, I thought, well, maybe I could just jot down some ideas for a chapter. You know, I had my opening and then I could have Eva Clouston coming back to Orkney and, and you know, and dealing with you. So I started to do that, just chap, just very light notes in chapters. And I found I could think about the story and think about the people. And I could just jot down what I came to me at that point, you know, and that sort of kept me going. What I couldn't do is as most people would think, maybe outline the whole thing. But it kept the story in my head and kept me thinking about it. And then once we got into the summer where um, last summer in Scotland, we almost got it down to no cases at all. Um, we almost moved into that el elimination phase. And of course, it became the summer holidays, so people allowed to go and you know so it started to get worse again after but during that time suddenly I was able to write the prose write the actual words of the book um, and I had a guide but it's it's quite funny how often I'd said oh chapters such and such and I just scored that out because that should have gone somewhere else or you know because I was using some of the ideas but I wasn't following um I wasn't following it uh, to the book or anything like that, you know. Hmm. Very interesting. Okay, so here we are. Here we are. And it is time for us to wrap up our interview. So at the end of each interview, I, um, I ask every single guest the exact same five questions. And I do this uh, because I just absolutely love the answers. And it helps kind of show the diversity of all the different writers I have on the show uh, and the types of answers that they give. So I'm going to ask you those five questions. Okay. And, and and here we go. These are the only questions I send ahead of time because some of them I feel would be a little tough to ask on the spot. So Yeah, I thought that actually when I heard people being posed the questions on previous podcasts, I thought, oh, I'm glad he's going to tell me. Yeah. yeah anyway. these, are, these are the only ones I give a heads up on because I just feel like it's the nice thing to do. So, hmm. um, all right. So let's jump into it. Question number one. What is the one word that best describes you? I decided it was going to be imaginative because when I was younger, my mom used to tell me I had too vivid an imagination, which sounded like a fault. <laughs> <laughs> But in fact, it's been the best thing um, for me because without it, I probably wouldn't have become a writer. Oh, I love it. I love it. Okay, question number two. If you had to pick a spirit book, so this is like one book that if you died and you were reincarnated as a book, this is the book that like best represents who you are. What book would that be? It's funny when you asked the first when I heard from your podcast and you asked that question, a book jumped into my head and it's not gone. It's, it's To Kill a Mockingbird. Mm. And 
I thought, but wh- why do I keep thinking that? And and it's because I've decided that it's because I always, when I read that, I wanted to be that little girl, and I want, and I was in certain respects that little girl when I, the one with the imagination and the. It also it it was a wonderful uh, mixture of a crime, a coming of age story. You lived it all. It, there was even you know there was a scene in court. It was a social commentary. It was just and the fact that you were that person in that that scout watching it all. Uh, I didn't call my father. I called my father dad. But what was very interesting, our daughter always referred to my husband as our dad as John. And people used to say to her, kids used to say, why do you call your dad John? And she used to <laughs> look at him and say, but that's his name. And and it always I loved that whole. So, yeah, I think it's the book I would have liked to have written. Mm. And I it's the that. book I, I would like to be in. Yeah, I, so. I love that book as well. I'm with you. Um, okay, question number three. Is there a specific tool, can be anything at all, pencil, software, chair, anything that you absolutely must have to write? Yes, a bed. A bed? A bed, because I write on a bed. Hmm. (laughs) It's the the most perfect place to write because I, I like to have my laptop and my knee on a little a little stand I got spread out all across the bed on the right hand side all my notes and my maps at the moment and all the rest of it um and I found it it took me a while to get to the bed solution but I never get a sore neck I never get any you know all the various ways that people sit and buy chairs that fit (laughs) no no the bed is the one for me. And oh without gosh, it, I find it difficult to write. That's so interesting. I have, I, there, there's another guest. I just cannot seem to like remember who also wrote in a bed, but I, I find that so, that's so wonderful. So interesting. Okay. Question number four, how do you deal with the constant ups and downs of the writing life? Yeah, it's, it is. It, it, it's a weird life, particularly weird uh, in the last year when you don't get to see people and you don't get to go to libraries and you don't get to because people of course watching and listening to people is just a dream for a writer you know and it, getting on the bus in Edinburgh and listen to folks conversations it is a wonderful thing so the way I've dealt with it <laughs> we've been in lockdown as as you'll know over there too uh, just John and I in the house up here. But John, basically, I torture John when I can't get things to work or, you know, the whole. and then he he makes me laugh and he reminds me of something I think we should all be reminded of, that we're on a rock flying through space and it's a miracle we're alive at all. Hmm. This is. Very profound. <laughs> <laughs> no, but it's supposed to be funny as well. Yeah, I mean, it is. It is. I mean, yeah, it, it is. It is profoundly true. When you like kind of zoom out and you actually really literally think of that fact, it kind of blows your mind. You know what I mean? It's like 
it's like the the yeah the the whole thing is just it just so quickly goes into absurdity. It just kind yes. of it's hard to wrap your head around. Yeah, especially when you look up at the sky tonight, which right. is very clear up here, and it's zillions and trillions of stars, and we are just one of those. Crazy. Yeah. yeah. Anyway. Okay. All right. Here we are. Our final question. If you could give one piece of advice to new writers out there, what would it be? Well, I think I'm going to, you know, top and tail this because I would go back and say, Einstein said that imagination is more important than knowledge. Use yours. Hmm. Say that, that, say that, say that yeah. one more time. Yeah, I want, I want to hear that thing one more time. Einstein said that imagination is mm. more important than knowledge. So I suggest that you should use your imagination. That's the most important aspect of writing. Well, I can safely say there is no better way to end the podcast than with, <laughs> <laughs> than with that. That is such a a beautiful and I think for the writing life specifically um, when it gets very easy to uh, lean on head knowledge of writing and not yeah. so much on the, the just pure creation the pure imagination that we need to bring to the page I feel like that's a very timely and powerful lesson it really is good yeah well Lynn thank you so much this has been such a pleasure to interview you and to, to hear about your journey and your story and sharing your wisdom. I so deeply appreciate it. And I know our, our listeners will as well. One last question for you before we leave. Um, yeah. what, is, what is the best place to find you online? Where do you hang out? Where can people find more about you? Yeah, if you just put Lynn Anderson into Google, you'll get my webpage, uh, obviously my uh, Twitter account and if you just put in Lynn Anderson, the Twitter account, it will come up as well. And Facebook too. So any of those, you'll you'll find me. Awesome. And come and follow me on Twitter. <laughs> okay. Are, where are you most active? Where, where do you tend to spend the most time? Are you Twitter um, Facebook? More, yeah, Twitter. I'm very active on Twitter. Yeah, I've got a lot of followers. And that that's the place I interact with a lot of readers and other writers, of course, too. So... Um, yeah, that because it's wonderful that, you know, there are people on there from all over the world. I mean, out of interest, there were 55 different countries at the, the digital bloody Scotland uh, last year, last September, um, who uh, a real big international following. So I, I do like Twitter for that. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. Well, Lynn, thank you again. This has been such a pleasure. And oh, like I said, I know much. our I know our listeners will be very uh, just just so happy and thrilled with this interview. So appreciate it. Thank you. And thank you for asking me. I want to say thank you again to Lynn for her time. If you haven't yet, please check us out on iTunes. Give us a rating and review. Also check us out on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, all over the place. Lastly, just want to say thank you so much for listening, and I hope you have a wonderful, wonderful week of writing.